Welcome to The Real Deal, Mind, Spirit, and Body, Episode 2, featuring Dr. David Granoff and Dr. Mark Kalina, produced by Kalinoff Productions. Okay, welcome back to The Real Deal, or how two uh, guys who've been within the system for many, many years are trying to help people stand up and reclaim authority for their own health and wellness. And uh, what you and I decided before we turned the uh, recorder on was that we ought to tell people our credentials so they know they're just not listening to just anybody, but two guys who have doctorates and have quite a bit of experience in the field. So what is your experience, Dr. Kalina? I'm an MD. I got my medical degree in Cleveland, which is where we grew up, at Case Western Reserve. I did five years of med school so that I could learn some extra things in the last two years. I went to Vanderbilt for college, majored in psychology. No, I didn't know Really that. liked philosophy and, you know, had to do all these pre-medical requisites and then, but psychology and philosophy was it. Then for high school, and this is what we, you and I share, we went to rival private schools on the east side of Cleveland. And we're not really that kind of guys, I would say. We're not really hoity-toity or private school. Anyway, I guess I, I'm, I'm bucking against this stereotype. But, but I can say, and I went to Hawken, it was such a good experience and it changed my life. It was an unbelievable education. It had nothing to do... I don't know. I mean, I think they taught us how to think and how to think differently, and they supported us, and it was, it was really quite a remarkable experience. I started at public school, then got to go to private school after fourth grade, all the way through. Great education at Vanderbilt. Unbelievable. Case Western Reserve, which I loved, partly, mostly, because it was pass-fail. Been a total overachiever and super intense and type A and crazy. All of a sudden, we could learn for our own sake. So that was a good med school, and then I came west. I wanted to go west. I met this guy in medical school. He said, have you been to the west? And I loved and, and he brought me first to where he lived in Colorado, and then brought me to San Diego, and I was like, oh, my God. And I never left, or I came back and never left. And then I did my residency at UCSD, University of California, San Diego, it was actually a super intense time. It was during the AIDS era. Young people were dying like flies. My age people, oh, there goes another one. And it really was remarkable. They were die they were sick, they were dying, and it shouldn't be shouldn't have been. And we could we were really good at treating their acute infections and they died anyway. A couple weeks later from other things because they had no immune system and, and back then we didn't know what was happening what 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 where did this virus come from what was it all about anyway it was it was a plague and I was part of it and so I would say that's where I learned about talking about death the young people were dying and we didn't talk about them dying, we talked about trying to cure their infections, which, again, they came right back two weeks later with other things. And so it was a really, it was a remarkable training. I think back on it, I can't believe I made it through because no one was talking about it. I had no, we had no support system. We were all just deer in the headlights. 
dying young men everywhere, and they were my age, and they looked like me. You told me the other day that sometimes there were five a night that would die. There were, that I remember that was my worst night. Was five in the night, and they came. They were coming in. It was winter, and we, I was so tired, and it was really bad. Yeah, that was that was some dark times. And I would say it set up my life because I learned something about death, and I developed. I cared about death and people dying well, as opposed to dying medically in the hospital. That changed everything, really, and I've always done hospice since then, and I've all, and now I've been involved in the assisted dying program here in California, which became legal two and a half years ago, and that is some of the best work I've ever done. So, I believe you, and I, I, you, I remember you talking to me about this, and uh, being a kid, being a kid raised in Cleveland really with privilege, even though I think you got the best of it, right, and learned to love to learn, how did that experience, because from my vantage point, that was the seminal, two seminal experiences in your life, that was one of them. How did it impact the way you look at health and uh, getting well and conversely or not conversely dying? I've done this class, a program here twice about dying well, creating a good end of life. and. I really think getting over the fear of death is a big thing. And I, I know it's easy for me to say I'm not scared of dying, but I, I've seen so many people die, and I do think people have an amazing capacity to create not only their lives, but their deaths. And it doesn't have to be dramatic and traumatic and chaotic and crazy in the hospital. Been, I've done, been doing it with people very differently. And just like you can create a quiet, calm, peaceful life, I think you can create a calm, peaceful death. Whether you believe in reincarnation or not, it's just what everyone really wants. And I do think you can create it. And there's a website called mydirectives.com. And just, again, it's a website, so it's technology-based, but it basically says, how would you like to go? And I think once, you, once you've got that... I, I dotted and T-crossed on how you're going to die and it's all taken care of and you figure out who you want to be there and where you want it to be and how, what experience you would like to have, just like you create a vacation. I think if you write it down, share it, talk about it, it comes to life. And then I think when that fear of death is now taken care of, truly, then you're free to live, and I think it makes for a way better life, way more free, way more open conversations you have with people. This, anyway, this is what I've been teaching in my community. It's what I believe in from the bottom of my heart. I've watched Louise, Louise Hay, self-help guru, die a conscious death and a really good death. She went upstairs, took her pictures off the wall, laid down on her bed, and passed away. And it was smooth, and it was easy, and it was unassisted, which she wanted. I believe people can do that. I believe you can create a better end of life, not like those AIDS patients that I dealt with in the 1990s. And we all, that was such a terrible plague, and we didn't know what hit us. And we've learned about it, and I, I learned that I'm better because of it. And I really, I think all people, if they look over their shoulder at death, they are free to live and it goes way better.
Well, that's a pretty spiritual concept, isn't it? It's Very. the bigger picture. And, and although I haven't dealt with death to the extent that you have, I've certainly had clients that have ended up killing themselves. Oh. And that is, that's really devastating for, for me, but who cares about me? It's devastating for the family and everybody they've touched. And um, interestingly, when you're talking about fear of death, I can extend that, I think, to uh, fear period. Because I think we have a culture that is running on fear. And um, the, the outcome of that is that uh, we're pathologizing human experience. We're thinking about failure in the future, losing what we have, and more and more people aren't living in the moment, aren't getting the most out of their life. And I'm talking about adults and children. We have a culture that since 2007, and a colleague of yours, Jean Twenge, over here at UC San Diego, has written a book called iGen, and the subtitle is something like, Why Are Our Children... Uh, less rebellious and getting into less trouble and something and something else and completely unprepared for adulthood. And she has all this data from all across the country that basically, the, basically says that it is no longer healthy to be an American child or teenager. Think about it. It's pretty profound. Anxiety, depression have skyrocketed. Suicide rates have skyrocketed. So we are in a culture right now. So maybe this is a cultural moment where fear is driving most decisions from the macro to the micro and the cost, at least in America, is the quality of life has plummeted. And to tie it back into our idea that how do you take responsibility for your own well-being, there are ways to think about death, there are ways to think about the future, there are ways to plan for the future, there are ways to be in a moment that people are losing sight of. The wisdom of the ages, right? People have been around for millions of years, right? They all knew this, but we seem to have forgotten this. And it's, it's breaking our hearts, I think, to watch so many of these people suffer. When I started my practice, and I'll get to my credentials in a moment, when I started my practice, more of the issue was depression, and more of the issue was, would people come to a therapist? Now I don't have to worry about that because it's not depression as much. It's there, but it's anxiety. And anxiety is just, from my vantage point, a medicalized term for fear. And so we have kids that are so young, that are so afraid, and their parents can't sue them because they're so afraid. And so we've got a whole, throughout the whole life cycle, fear is running the, running the show. And that's not in anybody's best interest. Yeah, it really is. I, I, I'm a simple... Simpleton, I like to think, but I like it. Sim I need it simple, and it's really love versus fear. And which path are you going to go down? And self-love versus a life of fear and chaos. It, chaos follows. And I feel like, you know, I think we both had our own spirituality. We both grew up Jewish, or kind ver of versions of, right. and left that and and looked at spirituality in a huge way and I, I really I really have and I would say the most spiritual <coughs> moment that I had in, uh, in my life was after I went home after my dad was murdered and you know, can, you, can you stop for a sec? Yes. Because that's a big deal. 
your dad was murdered. How old were you? I was 13 years ago, so I was 44. Okay, and how old was he? He was 70. He had just turned 70. Okay. And he had just retired the night before, and he was a workaholic, and he thought all he thought about was work. And I, I mean, the fact that he got murdered, he didn't create it, and I wondered if he did, actually, because I didn't think he could live without work. And he sold his practice on Friday night, and then on Saturday night he got killed. And it was a random event, and I would say it was a little bit spiritual, because I don't think he would have done well as an old person, a sick person, or wrestling with things. And so, and, and, and I didn't understand this all, so I came home, went to the funeral. It was it was a beautiful thing. He thought no one would ever come to his funeral, and there were like 500 people there. And but on the way to the airport, I went. I stopped at the Indians Stadium, and because that's what we did is go to baseball games. And there was a baseball game, and I didn't even know it. And I walked in in left field, and I walked in the left field gate, and which was out past the bleachers. And as I walked in, I looked up, and a ball was coming to me. And it was, it was a home run. It was, and it hit me. Holy cow. Of course I didn't catch it, because I wasn't good enough at that. <laughs> which was, but, I mean, and the final score of that game was one to nothing. The Yankees beat the Indians. And I know, I know, I mean, it was impossible that that happened. And that was my dad. And I believe that is the spirituality. Is, and that's why death is not so scary. Because I, anyway, that, that showed me that. It's not scary. There is, at least in my mind, there's rebirth. I don't know. Everyone gets to choose the way they see it. But death is not that scary. And I learned it at that, that moment. Death cannot, can be not scary. Can be not scary. Right. Can be spiritual, can be part of a plan of life, can be created however you Well, it's a fascinating it. topic because we're talking about death and about fear and about fear through the life cycle. And we had a friend up here visiting, you, and we were talking earlier how his parents chose to die. And that was quite a story. I don't, uh, do you think he'd mind if we talked briefly about the no, details? No, wouldn't mind at all. He had a, uh, a stepfather who got pancreatic cancer, mm -hmm. and it didn't look good, and his mother didn't want to live without the stepfather, and so they chose to kill themselves, correct? Yeah, dual, dual suicide. Dual suicide. They both, they didn't kill each other, they killed, they killed themselves, and, and you, and, and his story was just remarkable, as he told, I wish, wish we had the energy earlier to have him tell the story, because he's a great storyteller, yeah. but that was profound. And in some ways, as he, as he left today, you said, well, that's, that was the way they needed to do it. There wasn't anything wrong with it, per se. Right. It was the way they needed to do it. His mom couldn't have lived without him. Her, this man, John was, right, broke his heart, and it made him sad, and he wished his mom was available for his, his kids to help raise him. But that wasn't who she was. Mm -hmm. And there's you're, just you're something powerful, powerful about that. You're implying another concept, spiritual concept, I think, of radical acceptance. That's not who she was. And we can't force someone to not be who they are. 
and we see that all the time. And I see that more kids. Growing up, I had another kid come into my office. He was very, very anxious about school. And he had a reason to be because he had a very slow processing speed. So school was overwhelming. And I worked with him for a while. And at some point, uh, after he trusted me somewhat and we had some dialogue, I looked at him, and I looked him in the eyes, and I said, you can do this. And he looked at me like, excuse me? What? What did you just say? And I said, you can do this. And he had never considered that option. How do we help people move from fear to connection, to competence, to trust? Believing in themselves. Believing in themselves. Right, and we're not talking about being naive. We're not talking about going out in the world and just thinking everybody's full of love and going to be, treat you well, because that we know sure as hell ain't true. Right. But we also know there's, a, there's lots of good people in the world, and you are born with one life, and trust, trusting that you have the capacity to be able to learn and grow, right. and that things will work out is a huge developmental achievement. And it's not... Uh, it, I, it's subtle, because my dad raised me on power of positive thinking. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we're talking about power of positive thinking. We're, it is mo- a more positive approach to life, <coughs> and it's real. I mean, it's, it's, a re- it's, it's a real assessment of who we are. It comes from a place of realness, not just, I can do it, I can do it, I'm positive. Well, that's right. That's, that brings to mind, and I know we're talking, maybe we're mixing topics here. I know. But... You know, that's what we do. Um, we're talking also about, um, and, and my reference is more kids and, and adults, and your reference is, I think you've worked with adults and kids too, but your yeah. reference really is the end of life. That's been your specialty for so many years, and I don't want to take away from that. Uh, and yet I think that, the, that that fear at the end of life takes a lifetime to build. Absolutely. And it only gets worse as you get older. Right. And, I mean, and you pain pay early, you work on it, you, you go through experiences, you look under the hood, you go hard. I think knowing your family roots and, and family wounds and the psychology and processing and learning where your thoughts and feelings come from, and then you can transcend it. So how, if we're going to give a message today from this, our ramblings, what is the message, right? We're not, we're not saying just think positive and everything will be okay. We're not saying be naive and trust everybody because there are people in the world that aren't trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And matter of fact, it's really important to be able to identify them, to be able to figure out who's trustworthy and who's not. That's, I work a lot with people on that. So what's the message we can give people today is that would maybe be the takeaway from our, our rambles. I mean, what I believe is that the key to health is connection. Mm-hmm. And connection to self, and connection to others, other people, and connection to whatever you want to call it, God or the universe. What It's connection, and I think it happens at all three places all at the same time. So working on connection to self, or working on connection in relationships, it develops the other forms of connection. So maybe for our next episode, we'll talk about what the F does that mean? Because that is, that is a big statement. And I would agree with it. 
and yet I'm sure that it's open to interpretation. So let's have a dialogue about what that means. Because I will add in my work, and I mostly do one-on-one -on -one therapy, sometimes I do work with couples, sometimes I work with families, but it's small group or smaller, and there's nothing that can be accomplished in therapy until people know one, one thing that you give a damn, that you care. The second thing is that they gotta think you're smart, because they've got to really pass over some, that's right, they've got to pass over some trust to you. And the third thing is that you're really, really paying attention to them. And you really, really understand where they're coming from. So everything that gets done in my field that's positive, that's helpful, is done through relationship, which is another way, I guess, to talk about connection. So... Should we talk about connection and relationship next session? I'm ready. Okay, so let me stop this, and we'll see how long this was today.